In the name of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. A number of years ago, I was in a Bible study, and as we approached the end of the book we were studying, I asked for suggestions as to which book we might want to take a look at next. And since we were finishing up with a New Testament book, I suggested that perhaps we could do something from the Old Testament. And I'll admit, I was a little shocked at the response I received. There were many in the room who simply couldn't understand, like we, a group of Christians, would want to study anything from the Old Testament. After all, we are a New Testament people, so there's no sense wasting our time with all of that old, outdated, and irrelevant stuff from the Old Testament. Now, I wish I could say that the other lifelong Anglicans in the room were on my side, but sadly, that was not the case. In fact, thinking back to my own time growing up in the Episcopal Church, I rarely remember ever hearing a sermon preached on the Old Testament text. And that really is a shame. The problem we run into when we ignore the Old Testament is that it makes it almost impossible for us to understand the New Testament. As we're seeing in Father Dan's class on Revelation, John's vision is rooted in Old Testament imagery. And if we miss that, then we miss the point of the entire book. And that's when we start making up our own meaning for things. And that's really where we start getting into trouble. But as St. Augustine said, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. What he means by this is that as Christians, we simply cannot understand one book without the other. The Old Testament is continually pointing to the New Testament, and the New Testament is continually referring back to the Old. So today I'd like to use a couple of our readings that we read this morning to show you how this principle works. My hope is that you will not only gain a deeper appreciation for the Old Testament, but that you may also be able to develop a greater understanding for the New Testament as a result. But before we get into our reading from Exodus chapter 28, it's important for us to understand broadly three key leadership roles within the Old Testament community of Israel. Prophet, priest, and king. Now the basic function of each of these roles is to mediate a different aspect of God to his people. So for example, the prophet mediates God's word to his people. This would have been especially important in the days when there were no written scriptures or clearly defined canon. The king mediates God's authority to the people. This is why it was so important 
that King David be a man after God's own heart. Now today I'd like to focus on the role of the priest. His job was to mediate God's love and mercy in the relationship between God and his people. Much of this centered around the sacrificial cult in the tabernacle first and then later in the temple. However, the priesthood involved much more than simply making the daily sacrifices. In our reading from Exodus 28, we see a description of the priestly garments that Aaron and his sons were to wear. Beginning in verse 9, Moses is told, You shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in order of their birth. Jumping ahead to verse 29, it says, So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment on his heart when he goes into the holy place to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. And the breastpiece of judgment you shall put the Urim and the Thummim, and they shall be on Aaron's heart when he goes in before the Lord. Thus Aaron shall bear the judgment of the people of Israel on his heart before the Lord regularly. Now this may seem like a really strange reading to include in the Sunday lectionary. Why in the world should we care about what the priests wore 3,000 years ago? But these vestments did a lot more than just make the priests look really cool. Notice the names of the tribes of Israel engraved on the stones of the ephod and on the breastpiece served as a visible representation of the priest's role as he placed God's people on his own heart and brought them before God to make intercession for them. Now, in a way, it's similar to the role of a car dealership. I know, bear with me here. Now, if I wanted to buy a new car, I wouldn't just go directly to the Honda Corporation and say, I would like a new gray Accord, please. That would be silly. I have to go to the local Honda dealership. Now, their job is essentially to mediate that relationship between the customer and the corporation. So they bring the needs of the customer to Honda. They tell them what kind of cars they want, what colors they want, things like that. And then they tell the customer what the corporation wants. This is how much this car costs, with some wiggle room in there, of course. Now, in the end, the customer gets the car, and the corporation gets the profit, but it all falls apart without the local dealership mediating this relationship between the two parties. Now, in a similar way, the Old Testament priest mediated that relationship between God and man, bringing the needs of Israel before God and then bringing the requirements of God before the people of Israel. Now, as we look ahead to the New Testament, we see that these three roles of prophet, 
priest and king, are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. But unlike the fallen and imperfect Old Testament figures who represented these roles, Jesus is the perfect prophet, the perfect priest, and the perfect king. And thus, he perfectly mediates to us God's word, God's love, and God's authority. Now we see his priestly role expressed in our gospel reading from John today. John 17 contains what is known as Jesus' high priestly prayer. So if we look back a couple of chapters, we see that Jesus has had the Last Supper and he's just finished addressing his disciples, preparing them for everything that is to come with his trial, his crucifixion, and ultimately his resurrection. In chapter 17, Jesus turns his attention away from his disciples and towards heaven as he prays for the disciples. Just as the high priest in the Old Testament bore the names of the tribes of Israel on his heart and brought them before God, now Jesus carries the names of the disciples on his heart as he lifts them up to the Father. Starting in verse 15, Jesus says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is offering intercession on their behalf. He's praying that God the Father would remember them, that he would protect them and sanctify them. In the following chapters, Jesus will not only offer a sacrifice on their behalf, but he himself will become the perfect sacrifice which will atone for the sins of the world and restore that relationship between God and man that was lost in the fall. But as we know, the story doesn't even end there because three days later, Jesus is raised from the dead, conquering sin and death once for all. So unlike the Old Testament priests who had to come and offer sacrifice continually in the temple day and night, Jesus' perfect priestly sacrifice is one and done. Eternal atonement is made on the cross. But this does not mean that Jesus' priestly role has ended. This past Thursday, we celebrated the Feast of the Ascension, where we remember Jesus ascending into heaven to be seated at the right hand of God the Father. Now, unfortunately, this is an event that gets little attention in the church, but it is earth-shatteringly important. On Christmas, perhaps a bit more of a popular holiday, Christmas, we remember the incarnation, where the God of the universe broke into our physical world and took on flesh and dwelt among us. So in a very real way, heaven came down to earth on Christmas. In the ascension, we remember earth 
going up to heaven. Jesus does not ascend simply as a spiritual being. He ascends into heaven while retaining the fullness of his humanity. Jesus now dwells in the spiritual realm of heaven as a physical, corporeal reality, making continual intercession for us to God the Father. Through the incarnation, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, heaven and earth are linked together in a way that hasn't existed since the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Jesus now represents our humanity in heaven, and in one week we will celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost when we remember the Holy Spirit coming and bringing God's divinity back down to earth. So it's like this bridge has been built between two islands, connecting them to each other. So to go back to my car dealership analogy, it would be like suddenly being adopted by the president and CEO of Honda and his son. And so now, if I want a new Honda, I don't have to go to my local dealership. I just go to my brother and tell him what I want, and he gets it from our father. Now, as a result of Jesus being our high priest, and now being seated at the right hand of the father, he makes continuous intercession for us. And because of that, the Old Testament Levitical priesthood and really the entire sacrificial system of the temple is now rendered null and void. Now, it's not that these things are bad or wrong or even a mistake, but rather Jesus has accomplished the purpose for these things in a way that these Old Testament systems never fully could. So no longer do we need a human priest to mediate for us because Jesus himself is our mediator. When we are brought into the covenant community of the church, we are not simply subjects of God's kingdom, but rather we are fellow heirs of the kingdom with Jesus Christ. And for this reason, we are given full and direct access to the king himself through Jesus Christ. And this is what it means when we talk about the priesthood of all believers, because all Christians now have equal access to God the Father through Jesus the Son. So you may be wondering, well, why do we still have priests today? We don't need Father Dan and Father Eric anymore if we are the priesthood of all believers. Well, while this is a multifaceted topic that is probably beyond the scope of a 20-minute sermon, I will say that the Anglican priesthood is fundamentally different than the Old Testament Levitical priesthood. Father Dan and I are not mediators between God and man. You do not have to come to us to have access to God the Father. 
One way to look at it, though, is that Father Dan and I, by virtue of our ordinations, have been given authority by the church to exercise the priesthood of all believers in a very ordered and specific way within the body of the church. It's also important to note that the term priest is a historical development in the church and actually is not used in the New Testament to refer to leadership in the church. Instead, the New Testament uses words like deacon, presbyter, and bishop. And historically, Anglicans have often used that term presbyter rather than priest. Now, all of this to say that although we may at times use the same word today, the function of the modern Anglican priesthood is very different from that of the Levitical priesthood and ultimately the high priesthood of Jesus. Now, with all of that said, I hope that I've been able to show you today how important the Old Testament truly is, especially for Christians today. After all, it is through these Old Testament roles of prophet, priest, and king that we are better able to understand not only who Jesus is, but what he has done for us and how he has reconciled us to God the Father. And so I want to encourage all of you to make sure that you're spending time in the first half of your Bibles. Because even things that may seem completely insignificant, like the clothing of the priests in the Old Testament, can have a huge impact on how we understand the depth and the beauty of the New Testament. And so embrace the entirety of Scripture and immerse yourself in the fullness of the story of God. And I promise you, that the more time you spend reading the Old Testament, the more meaningful the New Testament will ultimately become. Thanks be to God. Amen.